Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 100 of Justin the Food Entrepreneur's Woo-hoo! Podcast. And today I have with me my lovely and awesome significant other, Deborah Micus. How are you doing today, Deborah? I'm well. Thank you for having me. And uh, I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm the host. And today I have with us James Rumiliotis of Tsai Beverage Group. I'm sure I just messed that up. But <laughs> they're out of Montreal, Canada. And uh, it actually means tea in Greek, as James just told us. But he can actually tell us how to properly pronounce it, if you if you don't mind, James. Tsai. Tsai. T-S-A-E. T A S T S A E T S A E. The T and the S go together. It's Tsai. It's probably we're good. We're doing this so that yeah, the audience gets it. It's actually spelled. Uh, yeah, Tsai. You would pronounce it as as in T S A E. Got it. And so, James, how are, uh, how are you doing today? Doing very well, thank you. How and, about yourself? Uh, we're doing great. And uh, we're, it's actually, we're middle of, uh, we're about to experience snow possibly in Denver, which is, is crazy considering it's, it's spring here uh, as we're recording this. So this is a little bit nuts, but tell us a little bit about your company. How, you know, how did you get involved? And I mean, what is sort of your history before you became this beverage entrepreneur? Well, um, in late uh, 2017, uh, my uh, partner, who's, uh, who also happens to be a Greek-Canadian, uh, we uh, decided uh, to take a, uh, a hot, uh, popular Greek uh, tea beverage, uh, which is the Greek Mountain Tea. Uh, we grew up with it. Our, our mothers used to make it for us uh, every time we had a cold or a sore throat. Uh, and we decided to turn it uh, into a cold uh, beverage. Uh, we wanted to get into the uh, functional uh, beverage space, and we thought that there was nothing like it in the marketplace. And since uh, people, uh, you know, they uh, enjoy Greek uh, food and beverage products, and they also have a good reputation in terms of uh, being healthy, uh, they think about the Mediterranean diet as well, uh, we felt it was a good time to uh, jump into this uh, beverage space. And uh, we uh, brought uh, an investor on board who happens to be a food scientist and a flavorist. And he helped us uh, formulate our uh, our product, which we launched uh, in April of last year. So it's been a year uh, since we launched our product. Congratulations. You know, I too am Greek and I'm feeling a little... You know, jilted by my parents since they both, uh, their first language is Greek. And I have never had Greek tea. I didn't even know there was such a thing. So maybe you can tell me in the audience, what exactly is Greek tea? And how is that the same or different than traditional teas that people here in the U.S. drink on a regular basis? Okay, well, the uh, Greek tea is actually a, a flower. It's a herb. Uh, which is grown in uh, up in the uh, the mountains in Greece, uh, heights of five to uh, eight thousand feet, and it's a product which is grown wild. Uh, it's uh, it's called uh, it's it's an organic uh, product. It's also uh, naturally caffeine free, and it has uh, a, a good number of antioxidants and, and flavonoids, uh, which are actually it's actually a better tea product than uh, than the the uh, traditional green green tea. 
Um, And so do you you serve it cold? You brew it hot and then serve it cold? Or how do you do that? No, you uh, traditionally you you brew it uh, hot and you drink it hot, just like you would uh, with most teas. Okay. And so when you would, your parents would give that to you, you said like when you were sick or whatnot, it obviously has some medicinal value to it, as you were mentioning antioxidants and whatnot, which is, you know, helps with anti-inflammation. And, uh, but it, I mean, and so does it have a certain flavor to it or, but you also mentioned a flavorist. So do you add flavors to it? Uh, No, we, we added flavors, but uh, the the tea itself, the only thing you would, my parents would add would be uh, lemon and uh, honey. Okay. And so does it, you said it, it's made from a flower. So does it have a floral kind of bouquet fla- uh, flavor to yes, it? Absolutely. Okay. And so what, what flavors do you have in your lineup? Uh, at the moment, we have uh, ginger and honey. Uh, we also have the citrus with uh, ginseng. And uh, next month, we're introducing peach apricot with turmeric. Wow. And so um, I'm, I'm hearing you mention, you know, the turmeric and the ginger, and I'm imagining the uh, medicinal benefits that those ingredients offer. And so do you name them based, the flavor based on the, thing, the way you just described them? Or do you give them, you know, like the ginkgo, I think you said, it, or no, ginseng, do you say that it has like things to help with your memory or energy? Or do you just name it based on the ingredients? Well, we uh, we base it on the ingredients. The the uh, the main ingredients are the um, for the first flavor, it's the uh, the, the the honey, mm-hmm. and the, uh, for the second flavor, it's the um, the citrus. The ginseng is there uh, symbol- symbolically. It's right. not the um, main flavor. Okay, so that's more just a, but that's part. Is that added in, or that's just a natural inherent part of all of your teas? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And so, I mean, so you guys have taken on this, this venture now to, to basically produce cold teas from, from what used to be hot teas. I mean, do you have a co-packer uh, packer? Or is this something you guys are doing yourself? And, and we have a co-packer. The, co-packer, uh, the first thing the uh, co-packer has to do is cold brew the tea for about uh, 30 hours. Wow, and then do you guys? Okay, go on. Once the tea get the tea gets properly steeped uh, in cold water for thirty hours, that's of course the main ingredients, the tea, and then they add the uh, the natural flavors, uh, the agave, and uh, lemon juice, and uh, then we add the carbonation, and that's how the product is made. Oh, and so it's a carbonated beverage. That's a, so that's a really interesting twist on it. I kind of like that because I know for me, I really love a carbonated drink, but I don't love soda. And so this, you know, and is this, can this product be found in the U.S. or are you guys only in Canada? At the moment, uh, we are focusing uh, uh, across Canada. And uh, once we've established a good number of points of sale here, and have, uh, I guess, a proof of concept, then uh, our next uh, marketplace will be uh, the U.S. That's awesome. I'm looking at the uh, the picture of the bottle right now, and I'm loving your lettering because, you know, it's your, the E is like an epsilon, so it's like, 
you know, you've got the Greek lettering kind of, <laughs> you know, it's cool. I like how you incorporated that. The, uh, the, the, the Greek uh, S, the sigma. Oh, that's right. It's a sigma, not an epsilon. Epsilon. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while since I've looked at the Greek alphabet. Uh. <laughs> yeah, that's what those my uh, Greek letters. Sigma, a kappa sigma, a K, and yeah. then the sigma. Right. Which does kind of look like an E, but it's a definitely a sigma. Yeah. I like the play there as well. Right. Which is the T-S-A... <laughs> I I know Deborah's pretending to be Greek over here. She doesn't know know what the T is. She doesn't know the Greek alphabet. It's so sad. Both my parents, first language Greek, and they didn't, and there's four of us kids, they didn't teach us any Greek. And, uh, you know, they used to tease because we'd be like, why didn't you teach us? And they'd be like, oh, that way we can talk about you. (laughs) I'm like, that's so cruel. Like, you just do it right in front of us. She's like, I know. Isn't that great? (laughs) She's a big teaser. So this is a part of our branding. That's why we decided to write it that way. Yeah, I love it. I think it's it's awesome. And it's definitely because of the sort of the Greek life amongst college students and kids in the United States. When you bring it to the United States, I have a feeling a lot of people really understand what you're doing there. And then obviously the play on words for T and, and the S for Sigma, I think it's pretty awesome. So how are you going about bringing this to market? I mean, so you, now you've got your co-packager, you guys are producing it. So sort of what's your strategy to bring it to market? Well, our strategy is we, we use um, um, a, a lot of unconventional slash guerrilla marketing tactics, um, a, a lot of um, uh, sampling demos, and uh, we use uh, social media quite a bit to, to create a buzz. Right, especially with Instagram, with a lot of nice images and uh, you know brief videos, um, we um, we like to sponsor uh, you know events where our target market is. Um, so that's that's what we're doing. We're doing inexpensive yet very effective uh, marketing. Right. So are you guys direct to consumer, or are you guys going through retail channels, or both? Yeah, we go through the retail channel, uh, but uh, in terms of promotions, uh, we go direct to the uh, consumer. So we're basically helping the uh, the distributors and the uh, and the retailers uh, by being proactive. And so, like when you mentioned you you know sponsor events and whatnot, that's your target market. Who is your target market? Our target market are uh, mainly millennials, uh, and uh, we. F- found out uh, that a majority of them are female. Interesting. And so, like, how does this compare, you know, in price to other teas or even to, like, your typical um, sodas? Our uh, price uh, point is uh, at $2.99 at the retail level, which is uh, slightly above uh, traditional uh, uh, teas and uh, below uh, kombucha which is our indirect uh, competitor in terms of uh, benefits. Right, right. And so is there, um, with your teas and stuff, is there also stuff that's good for your gut? Because I know kombucha definitely has a component that's good for your, you know, like I guess they call it your gut flora or your gut bacteria. Yes, well, we uh, our next uh, production is going to include uh, about 5% uh, fermentation of the tea, which is going to add... Uh, additional benefits, uh, including what you just mentioned for your your gut, yes. And so when you mention fermentation, do you guys have to worry about 
uh, it becoming alcoholic in, at any point. I know that when kombuchas were first coming onto the market, I, there was a company that I had worked with, and uh, they were having to pull stuff off the shelf because it was over-fermenting, and it was becoming, it, the alcohol content was going higher than could be sold in just a traditional you know, supermarket-type store. And so they were having to pull some of it off. So how do you control that? Not, not at all, because only 5% of the product ha- has fermented tea. Oh, so it's not means an issue. That the alcohol is 0.001%. Uh, so not at all an issue. Yeah. That's right. Yes. And just a... So it's a clean label product. Uh, we've improved it uh, over time. Uh, we got rid of the cane sugar. We replaced it with agave. Uh, we got rid of the citric acid. Not that it's bad for you. It's uh, vitamin C. Uh, but we decided to, to replace it with clarified lemon juice. Very interesting. And... How is citric acid, because I thought citric, you said it's vitamin C. I always thought that it was a citrus of itself, like a lemon juice. Is, or is one like a processed product that comes in powder form and you guys are actually using like a lemon? That's, uh, that's what citric acid is. It's, it comes in a powder form. It's a natural product. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we decided to uh, replace it with uh, clarified lemon juice. Uh, it has... Uh, uh, it sounds better, and right. uh, it does the same job. Exactly. So, and then I see on your, as I'm looking at your page, it says organically cultivated. So, is that in terms of the products that you're using? Is that how you process it? What is your reference when you're saying organically cultivated? Uh, the, the tea herbs uh, themselves are, are organically uh, cultivated. Um, in other words, they're not they're not planted. Uh, they grow wild, mm-hmm. and. Uh, use any they don't use any pesticides great and so how do you guys do your um procurement for your ingredients well we have uh we we have a couple of suppliers in greece that uh you know send us say uh, the uh, the tea mm-hmm. uh, in bulk form. and and uh then we use uh, uh lo- local uh, um, products to uh complete the product uh, natural flavors are all uh, local for example, um, and so is the uh, the gavi um, that we right. use. So, so it's a product which is made with uh, imported uh, Greek tea, uh, along with uh, domestic uh, uh, um, products, ingredients. And so, uh, just out of curiosity, you and your business partner have a background in food and beverage before you guys started this company. Uh, no, my partner and I, we, uh, we have a marketing uh, and branding uh, background, but uh, our uh, investor who became our partner uh, a few months ago, uh, he has a PhD in uh, food and beverage science. Well, that helps. That's for sure. <laughs> for sure. And, um... He's a big asset for us. Uh, he's the one who originally uh, helped us formulate the, the product, and he also provides us with uh, natural flavors. Because he's a shareholder in a uh, uh, in a flavor house. Oh, that's cool. So it benefits him. He gets to double dip and benefit both ways. <laughs> I like it. That's right. yeah. So he's an investor with value add. Yeah. So, I mean, have you guys, I mean, you mentioned that you're not currently in the U.S., but that you have, you are going to, you are looking at that. So if you haven't gotten there yet, just say I haven't gotten there yet, but I have so many questions about, 
you know, what does that take to bring a product and bring it international? Is that a big hurdle, or are the products very similar and the standards similar from Canada to the no, U.S.? The, the, standards, the standards are very similar. In fact, if anything, we, we have the, uh, the U.S. label uh, ready to go. All we have to do is just print it. Really? Uh, we have the FDA-approved additional uh, uh, facts, uh, the ingredient declarations, everything's ready. We even have an FDA number. Uh, what's holding us back is uh, basically we, uh, we, you know, with limited resources and funds, uh, we want to focus on one particular region and uh, at a time. Yeah, that makes even sense. Even if you go into the U.S., we can't, you know, uh, uh, we can't go everywhere at the same time. It would have to be either the northeast of the United States or perhaps California. Right. And so that'll be its own little trick, right? Like one, which can you get better distribution contracts with? And two, which is a better market for you? So I guess you'll probably have to do more research into that when you get to that point. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, I, I prefer California, for example, because I know our product is going to do extremely well. It's going to be very well uh, received. Right. Uh, I agree. Um, but the, the Northeast is closer to home for us, um, easier to deal with. And, uh, you know, uh, the population uh, surpasses uh, the Canadian population just in the northeast of the United States. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, what size volume do you guys operate in when you're creating a batch? I mean, are you doing, like, how many gallons at a time? Uh, we do approximately uh, uh, 50,000 uh, bottles uh, per run for each flavor. And um, and just on that topic, so how many? I mean, you you mentioned the two flavors that you have right now. Is there a goal to add more flavors to the profile? Uh, yes, we're going to be adding a third flavor next month, uh, which is going to be the peach uh, peach apricot and uh, turmeric. And then we have a, a fourth flavor, which we are uh, presently uh, working on. And so, so our goal, our goal is to have four, uh, four or five SKUs maximum. And then once we've done that, then we're going to come up with the, uh, the, the original flavor, uh, original tea with no flavoring. Uh, and that's going to be a non-carbonated version. Interesting. And so, and then I noticed that your bottle is glass. And is there, a, I mean, this is always a topic with people. I mean, some people are like, it has to be glass and other people really want plastic. And so what was part of your decision in coming up with your packaging? Uh, the look mm-hmm. and uh, the environment. Yeah, both. Look, environment as well as, it tastes, everything tastes better in glass. I agree. You know, people talk a lot about that. That's one of the, you know, upsides of it. The one of some of the downsides of it is the weight and the shipping and the cost of the handling. And some co-packers won't deal with glass because of obviously breakage and contamination that can come from that breakage. But, um, I mean, you have a beautiful package. It looks really nice. It's a very unique bottle. It comes actually, it's not even available in North America. This is, this comes from Germany. This is a European uh, bottle. Oh, and that's and fitting high, with the Greek tea. Ball, yeah. Right. It's gorgeous. It is a very high standard, and I think it looks great because it's sort of a European product in that it's a Greek tea that having a European bottle just makes it so much better. Um, it's like San Pellegrino, and they, they've sort of stuck to that Italian-style can and, and imaging, and it, 
it really does well here in the United States. And actually, it's really taken off in terms of seeing it in Costco and, and the grocery stores here. We're also working on uh, our own uh, mold, which is going to be much sexier looking than that. Oh, really? Like you'll create your own? It's going to be very distinct, yes. We're going to be the only ones who are going to have this. It's going to be proprietary. And how do you go through that? Like, what's that process? How do you, I mean, will that be produced in? It's a lengthy process. It's going to take about eight months before it's all said and done, before we can actually uh, have the bottles uh, in hand. And will that be produced in Montreal, or is that something you'll have to do overseas or something? And no, that's, then... going to be, that's, that's going to be produced overseas due to cost. Right. But it's still going to be of high standard. It has right. to be of high standard because, uh, because of uh, the pasteurization that, that the product goes through. And, right. You know, it has to be able to withstand high. Oh, yeah. So it's, um, it's uh, a heated uh, pasteurization then. Yes, yes, it is, and that gives the product a two-year shelf life. Oh, that's amazing! No, yeah, ambient temperature doesn't have to be refrigerated. Oh, that's that's so great. I mean, that's always the trick these days. You know, so much food is going back to being natural, and you're kind of seeing the periphery of the grocery store getting larger with more and more products. But the trouble is always the shelf life, and so that's amazing that you guys are able to get that shelf life, and especially without refrigeration. I mean, that's a huge win for you guys, and probably a big advantage to getting yourselves into stores because they don't have to worry about it expiring and the waste. That's right, yeah. And that's where the uh, you know, uh, food scientist comes in. Uh, uh, he's, he was able to, to figure out a way to do that. So, um, you know, what are some of the things that you think have, you feel that you guys have had the most success at so far in, in doing as a business? Obviously, you came from a marketing background, but where are you finding the most success in your business? Uh, the most success is in... Um, and getting the you know the, the word to spread, uh, word of mouth, um, as well as uh, social media, um, you know, trying to be uh, everywhere with a product uh, initially, and, and having people try it. Uh, once they try it, then they uh, you know they they become uh, uh, frequent uh, purchases. Uh, we have a lot of resales. We don't just want to sell once. We want to be able to resell the product. Often uh, we want uh, to be a high consuming uh, consumption product. And so I'm trying to look you guys up on social media. What is your uh, Instagram? Uh, the Instagram uh, uh, page is um, at the moment, I believe it's um, Arte Vita Health. A R T E V I T A Health. Arte. Because uh, I also have you guys at, uh, I can't say the word, sci.cold.brew. Yeah, you can find that by, if you, if you go to our web, uh, website on the, on the homepage, you'll be able to see the uh, direct links to Instagram. Oh, perfect. I just have to go down to the bottom. Wait, so are these all your products? Do you yes. do more than you, so you do more than just this new tea that you have out on the market? We began uh, three years ago with a gluten-free uh, pita crisps product, which is also very, very unique. In, uh, it's, it's made with plant-based uh, ingredients. Oh, amazing. Uh, I'm looking fiber. at that. And yes. so tell us about that. Like, what's in that? So what's in your pita chip? Is it just a, uh, a dried actual pita, or is it the pita itself 
different and unique? It's, 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 uh, it's, it's actually a pita. It's like pita bread, except that it's, it's been, uh, you know, baked uh, several times and it gave it the, the, the crisp, uh, um, the, the crispiness. Right. So it's, it's actually, but it starts off as a pita bread. Okay. And it's made with, made with four legume. Uh, legume. Uh, it's made with chickpea legume, uh, legume flour. It's made with uh, red lentil, black bean, yellow pea. So they're gluten free. Correct. Oh, that's because they're also made. They were also made in a gluten free facility, gluten free certified facility. Yeah, so you know no that's right, and that's a big thing. You know, because people will ask us about having gluten free products, and we tell them we're like, well, we can make a gluten free product, but we it's much harder for us to do a certified gluten free product product because in order to do that, the facility either has to be completely gluten free. Um, or you have to test every single batch that you make, which can kind of be cost prohibitive. And so, um, so you guys are being that's able to do that by being in a facility that's certified. It, it, past tense, we were. Uh, that was a very challenging product. Uh, we sold all our inventory, and unfortunately, uh, we weren't able to replace our uh, uh, our co-packer. Uh, you know, closed down for uh, they shut down. Uh, so we were scrambling to find somebody, uh, another certified uh, gluten-free facility that was able and willing to take our product. Right. And uh, we, uh, we just found one recently, uh, you know, about, about six months later. <laughs> it's hard. There's not a lot of facilities like that. You know, it's, a, no, it's definitely no. a niche market. And, you know, while there are more and more gluten-free products coming online, uh, there's just not that many that are certified gluten-free. And so for people who are celiac, they really have to have that certified gluten-free. For other people who have some intolerances, it's not nearly as critical that it be certified. They can eat, you know, they just need the ingredients themselves to be basically whole. Because the, the, I forget what it is, but it's, isn't it like... 20 parts per million or maybe even less than that of 20, what less than 20 parts per million. And, uh, it's not just the, uh, the, the facility where it's produced that has to be certified gluten-free. It's also every single ingredient that goes into the product that has to be certified gluten-free. Right. Exactly. And so, yeah, cause people will have ingredients that, you know, there are certified gluten-free and they're like, well, can we do it since our ingredients are? And we're like, well, we'd have to make sure every single batch because we don't have a facility that is certified gluten-free. And so it's definitely tricky for sure. And so I can see why it took you guys six months to find someone. And so, and it, you know, and that's probably its own tricky scenario for you guys because, you know, it's not like there's 20 facilities for you to go and kind of compete against. You're kind of beholden to this one group. And so, you you know, this is your baby and you want to make sure that they can produce to your standard and whatnot. So um, that probably makes it a little tricky. So are you guys actually in contract with them and ready to go or you're still trying to work through making sure that they can make it the way you need to work through? And uh, honestly, we, we put most of our focus on the beverage. So uh, we, uh, we would be more than happy to license out or sell that part of the business right. uh, so we can continue focusing on the, uh, on the beverage. Okay, that makes sense. And so, and so considering this is now really the second product line, the teas, do you guys have, I, I mean, you mentioned you know, the different flavors that you had and then also having the original. And so do you have ideas of having more and more products? Like you used to have the pita, Absolutely. now you have the tea? 
So you want to keep building the right brand? Now. Yes, yes. Right now, for example, we're uh, we're just waiting for legislation from the Canadian government so that we can uh, introduce a uh, a CBD infused uh, uh, tea, which will probably end up being a sage. Oh, awesome. Yeah, you know, that's becoming such a big thing. And everyone's trying to figure out their way through like what's allowed, what isn't allowed. You know, here in Colorado, um, marijuana itself is legalized. And so, you know, CBD is pretty easy to find. But it's like, considering the federal government hasn't passed some of it, it's, it's a tricky, sticky situation, you know, in terms of what's allowed, what isn't allowed. Um, and so, you know, what are the standards there in Canada? You said you're waiting for legislation. So what is it that they're going to be passing? Marijuana is uh, for recreational and medicinal um, reasons. You're, 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 we're, we're allowed mm-hmm. uh, as of last year. Uh, uh, they're, they're sold uh, all across Canada. But in terms of infusing products with CBD or THC, uh, where the, the legislation is not very clear right now, but they said that by October this year, uh, they're going to have uh, legislation coming out that's going to be uh, uh, very precise in terms of what's allowed, what's not allowed. Right. I mean, I just feel like it's one of these things that there's so many medicinal benefits to it that are helpful to people from, you know, sleep to aches and pains to headaches. There's just so many different things that CBD can help people with. And, uh, Anyway, so that's really exciting. I love hearing that that's a product that you guys are, you know, having in the works once your government allows that. Right. And then we have another Greek uh, uh, product, beverage product that uh, we're working on as well um, for 2020. And what's that? Um, I'd rather not bring it up at the moment. Uh, (laughs) Top secret. We'll have you back someday and you can tell us all about it. (laughs) very unique uh, product uh, that doesn't exist out there at the moment uh, with uh, a lot of health benefits as well. So when you guys do the research or came out the Greek tea, did you actually, I mean, and you're talking about suppliers in Greece, did you actually go there to do your research? Uh, one of our minor pr- um, partners who uh, uh, has been in advertising for, for the longest time, uh, he's, uh, he's the one that uh, was able to source uh, uh, our uh, suppliers. And he keeps tabs with them, uh, you know, uh, in Greece, because that's where he lives. Right. So, I, you know, what are some of the hurdles that you can kind of tell us about and tell the audience about? Because, you know, we obviously have all sorts of food entrepreneurs who listen in on the show. And, you know, bringing a product in from overseas, I'm sure there's lots of regulatory compliance to that. You know, we all know that when you travel internationally, they always ask you, do you have any produce with you? Because that's just not allowed. So for you, as someone who's doing it as, you know, part of your business, what regulatory compliance do you have to go through in order to bring product in from a foreign country? Uh, It's not as difficult as we, uh, you know, initially thought. Uh, Basically, we send uh, samples to... uh, uh, the uh, equivalent of the uh, FDA, or, uh, you know, or Agriculture uh, Canada, it's called, and uh, they uh, they gave us the uh, the green light. They they checked out the product to make sure that uh, you know it doesn't uh, have too many microbes and uh, that it's a safe product. It is what it what, you know what it's claimed to be, and uh, they gave us a certificate, and then you know, we basically import the product and without any issues. 
And how is the continuity of the products you're receiving? You know, I know that we have a group that uh, imports some products and uh, it's coming from a foreign country and they're kind of always having to deal with making sure that there's consistency in the product that they're receiving. Do you have any issue with that or yours is basically a pure product or is it, or is it a blend? Ours is a pure product. It's, for, it's consistent because it's a pure product uh, uh-huh. and it, it's, it's grown in the same fields. Right. So that uh, makes it so, easier. Uh, Yes. The biggest, there are three big, big challenges in terms of, uh, you know, making this thing work. And that has more to do with uh, uh, finding the right co-packer. Uh, and second of all, having uh, adequate um, uh, funding. Uh, and uh, third of all, distribution. Right. So I would say those are the, are, are the, the, the main challenges. Uh, not so much, you know, importing the, the main ingredient, the tea. Right. So, you know, you mentioned the three biggest hurdles. So in terms of the funding, I mean, how have you guys gone about that? Did you, I mean, it sounds like you have a variety of partners. So are you guys self-funding or did you have to go out and access revenue in some way we, or funds in some we, way? Initially we bootstrapped and, uh, you know, not, we don't come from, you know, very wealthy families. So, uh, whatever money we had, a lot of it had gone into the, uh, gluten-free uh, products. Uh, so we had to make the most of uh, you know, our limited funds that we had to be able to launch uh, the, uh, the tea. Uh, that's why initially we were only able to launch one flavor because uh, we had enough money to, to do so, just for one flavor. Um, and, uh, and then we started you know, talking to several people that we had on our list of p- potential uh, investors. And then... Uh, that we approached the, the person who helped us formulate it and who provides us with the flavors, and uh, he was more than happy to come on board because he believes in, in, in our product. Right, which is really Plus the best him, investor you can have, someone who believes in it, right? Because it's just more people backing what you're doing and supporting you, not just from their own personal knowledge, but you know, out there being a word-of-mouth person too for it. And you need somebody who's uh, who's passionate about the product. If, if, you know, we we run across many many people that we know that have money, but you know, the moment that they're not crazy about the product or don't understand the product, uh, it's very difficult to persuade them to invest their money. Right. It's it's a tricky venture too because you know especially for people who aren't in food, it's a it's a little. I mean, on one side, you know, you go to business school and they talk about widgets because it's all the same, and it is somewhat all the same. But there's just a lot of regulatory compliance that goes with it, and so you know when you bring a financial component into it, um, you know, there's definitely it helps if someone has a background in food to kind of be more knowledgeable and a little bit more sophisticated in the sense that they understand the industry correct yeah Yeah. so you mentioned then the third thing that was is was the big difficult hurdle is the distribution so maybe talk a little bit and kind of share with the audience some of the challenges you faced and how you overcame them and you know even lessons learned of like gosh i wish i had known this back then well when it comes to distribution with the distributors uh they're very finicky in terms of who they want to add to their portfolio uh, of product offerings, because um, especially when it comes to a product which is unknown to them, uh, they loved everything about our product, but they weren't sure, you know, how it's going to be received, um, you know, at the, the points of sale. 
because it's you know nobody knows what a Greek mountain tea is. <laughs> right. Uh, that was the first issue they had. The second one was uh, uh, they were concerned about us being able to produce enough to to keep up with demand. And the third issue they had was that we only had one flavor. Uh, they said, when you have three flavors, come back and see us. Oh, that's interesting. And is that because people, I mean, I know me, like the other day I was at the store and I mean, while it was zero water, I still was like, oh, look, there's all these different flavors. And so while you can buy a six pack of one thing or even a case of something, they had individual ones. And so I grabbed a bunch of, a bunch of individual ones because I wanted to try all the flavors. And so maybe is that their point is that people want to try more than one and... Yes, yes, because uh, people are asking us, you know, when are you coming up with the next flavor, you know? What's the next flavor <laughs> going to be? Right, right. In well, and I would also well, imagine option. that if you're the distributor, you know, if they can deal with you that has three products versus having three different companies to deal with, it's a third of the work. So maybe it's also for them easier to have you have more yes, products. That too. Yeah. And so I agree. Yeah. And then of course the next uh, the, the other challenge was the uh, the Copac um, and the reason why that's challenging is because number one, you either don't have a co-packer that's able to do pasteurization, carbonization, glass bottles, right? Uh, steeping your tea, uh, or they can do it for you, but they're either too busy uh, or very dysfunctional. Right. So, how so often are uh, you producing? You said fifty. Th- you do fifty thousand bottles of each flavor, but how often do you do that? Is it like every month, or you know, are you a consistent? Are you consistently purchasing from them? At the moment, it's every three months. Uh huh. And so you kind of run in spurts, but that's kind of nice for them too. They kind of know, and they can probably bang out the production. But that's I can see how that would be kind of an issue because if it's all this specialized equipment, then it, but you're only producing once every three months. It's you know. I can see how that's a little bit tricky. Right. And this is why, you know, uh, down the road, we'd like to uh, own, uh, we would like to produce in-house, have our own production facility, not just for our product, but also for, uh, for white label as well. Right. Because we know that we can bring in business uh, for private label. Right. So just curious, does your co-packer do only beverages or they do all sorts of things and beverages. Oh, just beverages. Strictly beverages. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, because, I mean, there's definitely, I mean, there's a part where some of the brewing, and you said 30 hours. I mean, that in and of itself is kind of an interesting hurdle, right? Because the production floor is, you know, time is money. And so trying to Correct. be able to do that. So that's probably that's- also part of why you, you do it once every three months and do bigger runs to kind of keep that cost down. So now we're working on uh, providing uh, a, an extract in a form of a powder that we can just give to any co-packer and it'll be easier to produce rather than having, having them steep the tea prior to production. And so, I mean, so you basically will dehydrate it into a powder form. Is that how it works yeah. or huh, interesting? Yeah. And we're working in the U.S. right now, actually in Colorado. Really? Uh, that's uh, going to be Yeah. Is it in Boulder? Because Boulder's kind of a food mecca uh, no. in Colorado. Oh, no. <laughs> and so that's... Um, so, uh, yes. That's really... Uh, and that's a great idea. And it's sort of like... I mean, a lot of beverage companies figure out ways to simplify their products so that 
um, it can be reproduced in and other locations. Yeah. I mean, Coca-Cola right. did it with their syrup and recipes and just as an example for the audience. But it's just, it's easier. And then you can, you know, if you produce the powder and then ship it, it's a lot cheaper than shipping a bottle full of liquid. Um, because obviously most of the weight is actually in the water that's added to it and the, the weight of the glass bottle. So if it's being done somewhere else in local markets and shipped out in a three to 600 mile radius, um, it's more cost effective that way for sure. Uh, cause logistics is this, the most expensive piece. I feel like in any food or beverage business, you have this huge amount of money that's spent on, on shipping food to you and shipping products to you, which you already have shipping from Greece and then shipping the product shipping. out. Shipping is a very expensive uh, part of the uh, the whole uh, pricing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that and that's so, that's why we do our own distribution in our model up to three hundred miles. But after that three hundred miles, you start really eating away at your costs. Like come three hundred fifty, four hundred miles. So. You know, you need big shipping and you need to make sure you have a whole trailer load in order to ship that far because otherwise it's it's just not economical. It's just hard to ever make it make sense. Um, but You're shipping right. it with the dry goods is a, is a great thing. And we used to do a lot of dry goods for chicken, like marinating. They just add water and they can marinate the chicken and then the breading for frying it and stuff like that. But the, immediately when we got into like the frozen actual products instead of just the dry products, the the powders, uh, you know, the, your margins and profitability start really going, you know, down in terms of the percentage because it's so inefficient to ship things unless they're in powder form. So I really love that you're doing that. I think it's a great idea, obviously. Well, we have no choice because, eh, uh, you know, if we want to open up more doors with co-packers, uh, we need to, to go that route. Um, and it's also easier for quality control. And so tell us a little bit of how much, I mean, how is things regulated in Canada? I don't, I mean, there's not much regulation other than having the co-packer inspected by the health department here in the United States. Is that similar to Canada? It's we 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 have uh, you know we we mirror what you uh, have in the states. It's not much different. Uh, so it's just your typical health inspector. They make sure the process makes sense. There's no cross contamination or critical control points. And then obviously when you're pasteurizing the product, that that says a lot as well. Yes, yes, and it has to be precise. It has to be for X amount of time going through the tunnel. Uh, for X amount uh, 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 temperature it has to be certain temperature for X amount of time. Yeah, and so yeah, James, you don't want it too you don't want it for for too long and for for too high of a temperature because that may kill the uh, the, fl the flavor. Yeah, uh, but at the same time, below a certain threshold because uh, it may not kill all the, the microbes. Yeah, it's like a it's a balance, and you know people talk about baking and how hard baking it is a science, but also killing bacterias and making sure your food hits uh, the right temperature. That's a science in and of itself because you've got to kill as many possible foodborne illness related pathogens as possible doing it. And, but yet you don't want to overdo it because in food you'll overcook it or overheat it or, or over, 
or kill the flavor by putting some artificial ingredient in it. And in beverages, you, you know, you can often do the same thing, put in artificial ingredients that ruin the flavor profile or overheat it in, in the heating pasteurization process that kills the flavor as well. So it's just such a delicate process and really takes people know what they're doing to do that. That's right. Yeah. And yeah, and it's also, uh, by trial, trial and error as well, right? Yeah. You have to, produce a lot of samples and you know, see which one turns out to be the, the you know the, the, the most refined and then you know you, you base your uh, future production uh, on those results and so james as we start to wrap up the episode i sort of want to give you the floor and i mean just take it wherever you want to go and just what is it that you would like to share with the audience and the people that, you know, possible future consumers? I mean, we're, we're across the podcast is now in over 38 countries. We just hit 30, the 39th country today. But if you could reach out to all these people and they could hear your message, what would you want to tell them? I would like to tell them that um, as um, the food and beverage business uh, is not as easy as it seems from the outside in. Uh, there are a lot of factors that one has to consider. Uh, and the three main ones um, are the ones I mentioned, that big, the three main challenges, which are funding. Um, uh, the, uh, the other one is uh, uh, co-packing, manufacturing. And the third one would be you know, distribution. Um, it's much more difficult than uh, you know, it actually is, it uh, seems. Um, and uh, once you, uh, you know, you, you do, do dwell in, into it, that you discover, you know, a, a lot of um, pains that you have to overcome. Um, but what also matters is having a product which uh, is in the health sector. Uh, it has to be a functional um, food or a beverage because that's what the future is. The future is in, uh, in plant-based, healthy uh, foods with the least amount of uh, um, uh, with with clean with a clean label, uh, and if you are able to bring down your your production costs and your logistical costs uh, to, to to the minimum, uh, you'll be able to to make uh, you know a, a good margins and, and good profits uh, down the road. Uh, the, the the beauty about this business is that if you build a good brand, uh, you're going to be under the radar, and a lot of established brands will eventually uh, approach you. And buy you out for uh, you know crazy amounts of multiples. Uh, we've been seeing that for the last three years. Yeah, for sure. And you know, I couldn't agree with you more, especially on the part about it having uh, it being a healthy product and whatnot. I mean, we're just so more and more all the time seeing food as medicine type of an attitude, and more and more products are coming to the market. Even the health ind- healthcare industry is looking at it that way. Uh, there are you know health companies and uh, ho- uh, hospitals and insurance companies who are really turning to that model, realizing that if they can keep patients healthy, uh, they keep them out of the hospital, which ultimately helps their bottom line. And so there's really, um, you know, a big transition of food as medicine. And I think that you're spot on on that note. And, you know, I wish you all this success in the future. I, I mean, I can't wait to get my hands on your product. And so I'll have to figure out how to do that from Colorado. But 
to send you samples. That would be great. We would love that. And so, um, you know, and if there's ever anything we can do to help you guys as you start, you know, coming into the U.S., you know, it'd be fun to reunite. And uh, we definitely want to talk to you guys again, considering you have some new product in the in your thought process that'll come down the road. So when that is about to launch, we'll be sure to do this again with you and we can kind of talk about that and share with the audience and help you get your word out there on your new product. Well, thank you. That would be much appreciated. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it as well. And I would love to get you guys back on in like eight to 10 months and continue to tell your story with the new products you launch as well as the the original tease we discussed as well, if you guys would be interested in that. Yes, yes, we are, definitely. Yeah, We would love to share our experiences with uh, your audience. Absolutely. Yeah, and thank you so much, James, for taking the time and, and responding. Um, and so the audience knows, I basically, we reached out through Instagram. Uh, they liked a photo uh, we had on Instagram, and we, I sort of saw them and did some research on their company and what they're doing in the teas and the beverages. And um, did my homework and really liked what they were doing and reached out to them to be on the podcast and they responded like right away and, uh, and scheduled an appointment to do the recording and it, it was so easy and it was so great. So I appreciate you, you guys being so responsive. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, much appreciated. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we look forward to uh, the next, uh, episode, uh, not to mention the episode that you're going to be, uh, a recording from from here on yeah and so um if the audience likes what we're doing you know please share it if you guys like the story and, and are interested in the tea you can look it up online um it'll be in the episode notes so everyone can find um the teas and the beverages that we're talking about on this show uh share it with your friends and family so they can find out about it and if you want to reach out to me, it's justin at thefoodentrepreneurs.com. Uh, that's my email address. You can reach out to me if you're interested in being on the show or have any questions. If it's on social media, it's Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs on both Facebook and Instagram. And thank you, everyone, for listening in. Uh, continue to, to keep sharing. And thank you for all the love and support in all 39 countries we're in. And everyone, have a great day. Thank you. Thank you.